Steve and Kathy with us this morning to, uh, uh, to bring the word. And so, um, Steve, why don't you come on up? And uh, Steve and Kathy, uh, let me just, let me ask a couple questions. So, okay. how long have you been um, sent out in mission from this church, Steve? Well, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but uh, yeah, I came here in uh, 1982, met Kathy, and uh, so she had already been here, and uh, so then we were, so we, I started on the staff of the church in 80, what was it, 85, I guess, and then after, so I was on the staff of the church, and then we, we left to go over Japan, uh, to Japan in 89. So Steve was our first uh, elementary school staff member. He came when he was six <laughs> and joined the church staff team, so... Uh, anyway, I, um, I really uh, uh, appreciate Steve for a number of things. One is uh, just his heart uh, that's so uh, inviting and approachable uh, for people to come into his presence and to be received, and the, just his heart of, of love and joy for people. So when the Lord comes into our lives, he does a work of changing our hearts and uh, opening us to love others in the way that Jesus loves people. And I just, I appreciate that so much about you, Steve. Just uh, wherever someone's at, you just have a heart that receives them just like they are. And so I'm so grateful for that about Steve. And then uh, there's a, an earnestness about Steve and Kathy's lives in terms of why, uh, why God has created them and what it means to live uh, in light of God's creation and to be someone who's a Christian. There's an earnestness about seeking God and being, uh, in a sense, representing God's love to other people. So it's not, a, it's, not, it's, a, it's not a sidebar thing about their life. It's the center of who they are, and it's the source of the joy that we, uh, I think, all experience in, in your guys' lives. So I want to just pray for you, and just, we're just so glad you're here today. God, thank you for Steve and Kathy, for the gift of friendship with them, of partnership and mission, of the ways that our lives are uh, made more full because of their interests, their curiosity in people, their, um, their deep concern, genuine, authentic concern for others, and for their sense uh, just that, and conviction that you've called them to um, be uh, your arms and legs, your voice, uh, your presence uh, in, in the, this world in a way that um, you want to touch people through them. That's true about all of us, God, uh, that you want uh, to have us touch others in your presence. But we just experience that so deeply through them. We're grateful. As Steve preaches today and leads us, would you uh, give him real joy and help us have ears to hear all that you want uh, to say to us as you invite us more into your presence. Amen. It's really embarrassing when people say those kind of things about you, right? You just... <laughs> so. All right. Um, all right, that looks good. Okay. For those who don't know us, again, I'll, I wrote it all down. I didn't know he was going to say that, so I now I have to say it anyway because I wrote it down. Uh, Kathy came to Bridges, which was called Bible Fellowship, about 40 years ago, and I joined her here when we got married in 1983. Our kids were born at Riverside Community where Bridges sent us out with OMF to Japan for 22 years. We loved our work there, but we were asked in 2011 to come back to do home-site ministry for OMF. OMF, by the way, Overseas Missionary Fellowship, for those who don't know OMF. Just months after the tsunami disaster in Japan, we came back to build and oversee 
the team of consultants that works with churches to help them maximize their impact in cross-cultural missions. Kathy and I love what we do. We got to come this spring and help train the Malawi team that you just sent out, and God is doing a good thing among you. This is a wonderful church. As you can tell, we have deep roots here, and that's one of the reasons I love coming back um, every time I get a chance to, to speak here. Some people have asked us, what did we learn during our time overseas? Of course, we learned to love sushi, which we had never had before we went to Japan. You know, back in those days, there wasn't just a sushi restaurant on every corner. There was one Japanese restaurant that I knew of, which was in Canyon Crest, and it had a C rating on it. So no one ever went there that I knew of. And so, so uh, yeah, but now everybody goes to get sushi. But back then, I didn't know anything about sushi. We learned how to eat Japanese food. And, of course, we learned how to love Japanese people. We learned to parent kids who are comfortable in lots of cultures. We had to learn to prosper spiritually apart from you, our familiar church community. We had to learn how to grow. We had to learn how to stay close to Jesus without having others around us who knew Him. But one thing I often talk about that I learned about is prayer. Prayer became so vital as we tried to share Jesus in a place without any history with Jesus or His church. And also in a place where decisions are made as a group, not individually. So we were desperate to get deeper in prayer. I'd like to share some of that with you by taking a couple of points from a John Piper message. Probably you've heard, probably Cliff has probably used these things before, so I'm sorry if I'm going to be repeating things with you this morning. But he, John Piper did this message back in 1988, and so some of you weren't even born then, so that's sort of make it easy. But I'm going to add some things to it as we go along. I believe, first of all, the first point, uh, there is, by the way, in your bulletin, a little thing there, and you can take notes if you like to. Uh, I called it walkie-talkie prayer, and you'll find out in just a moment why. I believe we rarely think about the battle that we're in when we pray. Here's a scenario. You're looking at Facebook. When you see your friend writes, OMG, can't find a parking place, going to be late. So you message right back, praying. Then a few minutes later, the friend responds, thanks, prayer warriors. God is good. I found a good spot and got inside just before Coles closed. So is this what the, what the almighty God of the universe designed prayer for? As Piper says, the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands, <clears throat> hands of believers is they try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. It is, it is as though the field commander Jesus called in the troops, gave them a crucial mission, go and bear fruit, handed each of them a personal transmitter coded to the frequency of the general's headquarters and said, the general has a mission for you. He has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these transmitters. If you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter to give tactical advice and to send in air cover when you or your comrades need it. But what have millions of Christians done? They have stopped believing that we are in a war. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning. Just easy peacetime and prosperity. And what did they do with the walkie-talkie? They tried to rig it up as an intercom in their comfortable and safe houses and cabins and boats and cars, not to call in firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask the maids to bring another sofa to the den. 
Now, obviously, I'm not saying that we should just say good luck when folks tell us about a surgery they're going into or saying thinking of you when someone loses a job. God commands us to pray about everything, big and small. But I often wondered when we were in Japan how the same folks who said, we'll pray for you when we left, got distracted with the local requests and forgot to pray for the faraway ones. Questions we heard from prayer partners on a home assignment were something like, so how did it go in China? Which, of course, we were in Japan, right? So that was an obvious clue that they had forgotten which country we were in. Or did you get the new Xbox before it came into the U.S.? Because they could get them earlier there if you didn't catch that part. The Xboxes are kind of old, right? Was the postage on those prayer letters, you know, back before we did email, we actually sent those ones. Was that postage a good investment? How many took those letters and said, thank you, Lord, for this communique from the front lines? Help me, Holy Spirit, to pray about these points as passionately and desperately as Stephen Kathy wrote them. Some did pray and pray and pray. Kathy and I were often amazed by the folks who year after year interceded for us, writing to us to let us know that our letters had been prayed through, asking us how the battle was going for language fluency, raising a family, getting to know our neighbors, renewing visas. Those are the people who took it as a sacred duty to send in the airstrikes while we slogged in the trenches. When they saw us again, they asked about specific people that we had asked them to pray for. Sometimes we had even lost contact with and quit praying for some of those Japanese people that those prayer warriors were still praying for. Those kinds of prayers are a vital part of God's work among the nations. I think fondly of them when I read 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I'm praying that every person here today is willing to take the battle to our enemy and not wait passively. So that first point has to be the idea of warfare. Second point about the sovereignty of God in missions prayer. One day, as I stood on a crowded train in Tokyo and contemplated what it meant that less than 1% of Japanese trust in Jesus, that maybe there was only one other believer on that whole train, I was overwhelmed. Now, I just wanted to give up and go home. But God kept reminding me that the picture that I see in Revelation 7 will happen. After this, I looked, and there was an enormous crowd no one could count all the people. They were from every race, tribe, nation, and language, and they stood in front of the throne and of the Lamb, dressed in white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. They called out in a loud voice, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Is that scene a reality or not? This is the book of Revelation, right? The idea is that when we see it in the Revelation, it is a picture of the future. It's not just the future as it might be. It is the future as God sees it, it will happen. God is promising us that we can pray for the lost to be saved, for the saved to be discipled, 
and for those disciples to be sent out as laborers into the harvest because every tongue, tribe, and nation will be reached. The sovereign God will bring this to pass. Are we guilty of praying something like this? Dear God, our missionary says it's hard soil in that country. Help them not to be too discouraged because it's almost impossible to get a church started there, but I hope they'll get a couple people. Or do we pray for God to launch a growing church planting movement among these people because he loves them and wants them to be saved? Almost sometimes I think it's kind of like a, a sort of racism in a way that here in our country we have the good news and we, we don't even pray as if it's a desperation that those people have it as well. But what about the way that Paul talks in Romans 10.1? He says, brothers and sisters, the thing I want most is for all the Jews to be saved. Remember, Paul was a Jew. That is my prayer to God. Paul was desperate for this. He prayed constantly for Jewish people. Yes, he went to the Gentiles. Those of you who know about the New Testament, you understand that Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles. He went to the Gentiles to share Jesus, but I bet you, though, about every hour or so, he was stopping and praying for Jewish people to come to know Jesus. Maybe his parents, cousins, relatives, people he had met. He didn't beat around the bush. He poured out his heart to God who wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So that second point then about God is sovereign in missions is we have to trust that. Do we believe that when we pray that, that things are really going to happen? So now it's time for us to point three, how to pray creatively for missions. We have a theme verse that will launch us into five different ways to pray this morning. Our theme verse is Ephesians 6.18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You see how it says all kinds of prayers and requests? I think this means we're to engage our creative thinking in praying for the ministry of God's Word in the world. So, I've been putting my creative thinking cap on, and I came up with five ways that we can put this command into practice. By the way, they each began with a C. It doesn't have to be that way, but I just came up with it like this. You notice they are compassionate, combative, comprehensive, consistent, and communal. So in a few minutes, I'm going to give instructions for each kind of prayer, and then you're going to have a chance to practice it before we move to the next kind. Now, I know that not all people here are comfortable praying out loud, and we're not going to be, it'll be lots of different kinds of prayer. If you're uncomfortable about that, don't, there's no problem, just ask to be skipped, it's totally fine. The idea, though, is that there are a lot of people who would like to pray, and they'll be glad to pray when you're not doing that. That'll be fine. The thing is, though, that we learn as we pray together, and that's one of the reasons I wanted us to have that opportunity. But you know I always do weird things when I come here, so just bear with me. I'd like to prepare the room by asking you to move so that there are no tables that have less than five at them. So if would it be possible that two of you guys could... I mean, I'm talking about the tables first. The five people, so could... Or, well, it looks like it's going to be only four. So if, could you two join that too or something like that over there? And then maybe, yes, could you join over there then? Is that okay then, Emily? Can you join that table? Great, thank you. And then on the rows here... If we could have no fewer than five people on a row. So it's going to be a little bit hard, but let's see. Evelyn, could you, would that be okay if you move back to the one behind you? 
And then, Gary, if you could move back to the one behind that. And then if the two of you, I don't even know, I'm sorry to have to ask you to move on the day you did. I don't even, sorry. Hi, I'm Steve. Could you guys then, could you guys move back like on that, that row right behind you? Would that be okay? Right back there. Yes, please. Yeah, something just, so we have a few people in each row because we're going to do some stuff with the rows. So it's important to get in rows, good rows here. Thank you for being, thank you for being patient. Oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you can move up there. That's okay. Yes. Yes, I'm sorry. Those of you who are on the uh, Facebook Live right now, I'm sorry. We're going to pray. So you know what I would say, though, before you go is take some time right now to pray for the, the workers that this church sends out to all different parts of the world and here in our local communities. All right. Thank you.